You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 198. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery, and I am honored to have you here for another delicious episode. We are only a few more away from 200. Yay, yay. And we're going to dive right in on this one because this is a working, this is a work in progress. I've got a hell of a ton amount of show notes in front of me, and I don't think they're going to help me articulate this very well, or that it's going to be amazing. It could go either way, right? We're going to NLP the hell out of this right now. This is going to be the best episode 198 of all time, because it will be the only episode 198. And I have been working on this, this theory of mine, and it came about when I was done speaking at Bradford and Warrior a month or so back ago, and I'm in the car and I'm reliving the entire speech and I'm thinking about ways that I can work on it to make it even more valuable to people who are in attendance. And I was really hyped up into it. And something started to play around in my head. And I started coming up with this idea of there being, and some of this is going to sound a little bit redundant because I've talked about it before, but being really amazing differences in what addiction is in our behaviors, in our thoughts, and our feelings, and ultimately that means in our actions and results, what sobriety is, and what addiction recovery is. And so, like I said, this is like a working theory. So as this sort of plays out over the microphone, just enjoy the ride because I don't really no idea where this is going to go, except I know it's not going to go over the cliff. That it's not going to do. I can assure you <laughs> at the end of this, it is going to bring us massive amounts of epiphanies and it's going to be extremely enjoyable in no way, shape or form. Or are we going to James Dean our way uh, into, <laughs> into some Hollywood uh, cavern? We got this, we're on lock, we're ready to rock and roll. So what I'm talking about here is like, how can somebody who is in sobriety, who's working on their addiction recovery, look at their behaviors, look at their actions, retreading them back to their feelings and their emotions and back to their thoughts, and be able to say, am I currently behaving in a way that is supporting my sobriety, that is supporting my addiction recovery, or is the way I'm currently behaving more along the lines of how I behaved when I was actively in my addiction. Now, I can hear Melissa's voice in my head when I say this, because I remember us originally talking, and that was my therapist, if you don't recognize her name, back in the day, she was my therapist at Kaiser, and we would discuss about the differences between sobriety and recovery, which is how this show's name came about. And then I started saying, okay, well, so what if I'm in sobriety and I'm in recovery? And I started noticing some of my behaviors seem to be leading me down a path of relapse, lapse, whichever one, not important for this episode. You know the difference between lapse and relapse. We have covered that ad nauseum, but we will cover it again because I love talking about things over and over and over again. <laughs> so don't worry, it's coming back. Um, how can somebody monitor what they're doing in order to notice that they're beginning to go down the path of addiction? 
Because that lapse, that relapse, that, that behavior of drinking in the bar, calling up your Coke dealer, getting some pills, the relapse does not happen in that moment. The relapse has been, you have been laying down the path to go toward and achieve your lapse or relapse for some time. Um, this is what she talked to me a, a lot about. We had a lot of this because I took this, it was called relapse prevention. It was on Monday nights. It was like a 12 or 16 week course. And I took it like four times. I just wanted somewhere to go on a Monday night and why not go and sit at Kaiser and get to hang out with Melissa and a bunch of other really cool people as we were all working our way through our own version of our program. And I remember them saying that in relapse prevention, that the relapse does not happen in that moment that you take the shot, that your behavior your thoughts and your feelings, your actions, and ultimately your results have been leading you to this moment of taking that drink, snorting that line, taking, you know, putting that needle up against your vein. It has been leading to that moment. So then I'm like, okay, well then how can I be monitoring my actions, my thoughts, my feelings, noticing where these results are leading me so that I can be mindful of what kind of behaviors could potentially take me to the lapse and relapse. And so this is all happening in my brain, in my Hyundai as I'm driving down the 65. And I'm thinking, okay, so we want to establish what addiction is. Like what are some behaviors that we could be doing that could be leading us towards our old addictive self? It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to lapse or relapse. It doesn't mean that we're going to have that moment. But it does mean that we're beginning to behave in a way that we've already decided that we're sick and tired of behaving as, Right. If, and we're going to go into the nitty gritty of this now. I just stopped myself from literally just spewing out a bunch of stuff. And I said, no, let's not do that yet. Let's, let's keep running with, I want to get this thesis out really well for you. So then I thought, okay, so there are thoughts and feelings and actions and behaviors that are more prone for sobriety. So what is it that we're doing in sobriety? What would we be doing in the early stages of sobriety that we could begin to repeat down the line when we are moving ourselves into or we're already thoroughly into our addiction recovery program that we can clearly state I am in recovery like me I can state without a doubt I am actively in my recovery but it does not always mean that my thoughts feelings and actions are indicative of being in addiction recovery there are times where I go back to behaving like addict Jesse there are times where I go back to behaving like sobriety Jesse so then, what is addiction recovery, Jesse? So what is addiction recovery, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors and actions? And how can we begin to notice whether our thoughts, feelings, and actions and behaviors are in aligned with our addiction recovery? Or are we behaving more like our old sobriety self? Or are we behaving more like our addictive self? And so all this is running through the brain, and I have been pondering this episode now for well over four weeks, maybe longer, and I don't seemingly, let me just retread that for a moment, because don't seemingly does not sound like a very good segue to what I'm getting ready to discuss. <laughs> it's not coming to me. I have been thinking about this. I've been taking walks on this. I have been listening to different books and trying to find different information, not necessarily about this topic, but just something that would spark the, you know, this, this undeniable creativity, this generator inside of me. And it have not been able to find that flow. Then I've came to the conclusion over the weekend that the only way the flow was going to happen is if I just put the microphone in front of me and just ran like the wind with it, which tends to have worked in the past because clearly 
indicated by the fact that this is episode 198. So let's discuss how we can begin to monitor our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors around is this addiction, is this sobriety, or is this recovery? And when I ultimately add this into my presentation, it's going to be addiction is, sobriety is, and recovery is. So that we can start to lay out the groundwork for how people can really be able to say, okay, what I did just right there, that is absolute addiction behavior. What I did right there, that's sobriety behavior, which is in, you know, in essence, going to be better than addiction behavior, but not as good as or desirable as addiction recovery behavior would be. And so real quick, let's just make sure that we're on the same page when it comes to what addiction is, what sobriety is, and what recovery is. Because I talk about this stuff a lot, but I just want to make sure that we have a very, you know, let's build a foundation. Let's build a foundation, right? So if we're going to build an amazing house, you want a strong foundation. Although, Although, apparently not a slab. We are in the process of house hunting here in Huntsville, and apparently slab, no. Crawl space, good. For many, many reasons, apparently, but the most important one, it seems, is that if there's any issues with your pipes and you're on the top of a slab, people might have to dig underneath your slab or break into your concrete to get to it. But if it's a crawl space, you get to send some poor person, not poor like financially, just poor in the moment. You have to send somebody underneath this crawl space where snakes and spiders could potentially live. And then they get to work on your pipes, which I mean, I hope that person is getting paid a lot. In fact, from what I hear, plumbers get paid a very, very good rate in this country. If you are looking for a job and you don't think that you have many skills, one, you're probably wrong and you have many, many, many skills, but I would highly recommend you get into electricity or plumbing or HVAC because you can make six figures doing that stuff. Okay. And do you enjoy that sidebar? I did. (laughs) I totally did. So... Again, the reason I went into that amazing slab versus crawl space sidebar was because we're building a foundation for this episode, and we're going to make sure we're on the same page when it comes to addiction, sobriety, and recovery, and what are what, what they are. So, and I'm going to make this super simple because I could literally, and I, you know me, I do my research, and then I rattle on without even reading over it. But the point is, is I did it, and I feel good about that. And so I'm going to make these definitions I've come up with super simple because I'm not looking to turn this into any much longer of a diatribe than I already have. Let's get to the nitty-gritty. Let's get to the meat and potatoes because I still feel like we're sort of playing in the spinach right here. So addiction is when someone has trouble stopping a harmful habit like using drugs or drinking alcohol clearly, right? They need help from professionals and support from loved ones to overcome it, right? That's it, right? We have a harmful habit. It's no longer serving you. It's drugs. It's alcohol. Hey, it could be sex, porn, gambling. We all know that the addictions, I mean, hell, how many times have I talked about the phone being an addiction? So we know addictions are there, period, point blank. And, you know, help from professionals and support from loved ones. Yes, obviously, right? We can, you know, It's like we can go much further together than we ever will alone. This is why meetings and and all those things are so amazing for people. So we know what addiction is. Harmful behavior. Can't necessarily stop it without professionals and support from loved ones. So what's sobriety? Sobriety is when someone stops using drugs or alcohol and stays away from them 
bing, bing, bing. And it basically, it will help you live a healthier and happier life. You're going to have stronger relationships. You're going to improve your physical and mental health. Now, you're not just going to do that by sitting on your house and not using drugs and drinking anymore. Certainly, you're going to have to put effort into it. But in essence, once you stop using the drugs and alcohol, the the ideal idealized idea around what sobriety would bring you is, you know, obviously more freedom um, from the addiction, as well as now you would have increased energy and you'd start to clear up your mind, your body would start to heal, and you would naturally feel more motivated um, internally to go off and do something amazing with your life. But we also know that you don't just sit on your ass and expect, you know, it's not like the secret where we can just sit there and positively manifest things into our lives, you have to take action on that positive manifestation. Love the secret. Got into a great conversation about that recently in the in the chat over there on Voxer with the with the tribe from the hub, which I've talked about again ad nauseum. And so we one of the one of the new guys in there was talking about the secret and I was like, yeah, love the secret. I got into the secret back when I was working at Bonefish in Gainesville, Florida, back in college in like oh five. And the part I always thought was missing was the take action part. They didn't really hammer that home as much as I would have preferred. So sobriety is not using anymore and then you can create your healthier and happier life and you're gonna do this via addiction recovery. Right, and in addiction recovery in its simplest form is just the process of getting better from the addiction, drugs, alcohol, other harmful habits, whether that's with doctors and therapists and support groups or loved ones and friends and family members, but you're making changes to improve your health and happiness. Right. You know, obviously, the goal is to live without relying on drugs and alcohol anymore, but now it's like, what are we going to do to literally take ourselves apart from the inside out, lay them on a table and figure out what the hell has been going on this whole time. And so that's why I got into NLP. That's why I got into all this psychology stuff. It wasn't just enough to stop using. I had to know why I continued to use. So we, we got it now. Addiction, not being able to stop the harmful habit. Sobriety, quitting the harmful habit, but not necessarily diving in too deep. Addiction recovery, not only did you quit the harmful habit, you're totally diving in deep. I said it even more simply. So what are going to be some of these behaviors that I want us to start looking out for? First and foremost, the way I've laid this out is that addiction is this obliviousness where we're in trance mode. We're in zombie mode. We're just, we're just going through the motions. In many cases, the motions were just going to lead us back to our next high. They were just going to lead us back to our next intoxicated moment. Whereas sobriety is this awareness, right? If we go back to the five stages of t- change, addiction is that pre-contemplation uh, contemplation zone, right? Where it's like it's definitely pre-contemplation, where we're just oblivious to the to like the chaos we are creating around us. No matter how many times our loved ones tell us to please stop, they cry, they try to turn us on to new material new things. We're just like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Everything's fine over here. I mean, I get it. I've gotten like 60 UIs in the last 10 years and I've wrecked tons of cars and all my relationships go up in flames and my house might even be on fire, but my life is fine. Leave me the hell alone. Where's my bottle? Right? That's that addiction. That's that obliviousness. Whereas this sobriety is awareness. That's when we get into that contemplation, that planning mode. We say, okay, um, this is definitely something I got to be working on, right? We're going to get awareness around taking action. You know, that's that first 30, 60, 90, 120 days. Hell, I know some people who are, you know, sober now for over a year, but they're, they're not in addiction recovery. They're just, they're, they're staying sober. 
but they're not taking themselves apart from the inside out and really working on their traumas, really working on their grief, their shame, their sadness, like actively working a program. You can shit. I did it. I mean, like I've said before, my last last time was not my first last time. It was just my last last time. I went a year, year and a half, multiple times during my active addiction uh, for those 22 years where I would just be like, okay, staying off the bottle for a month, then three or nine or 12. One year I abstained from sex and booze for an entire year as punishment to myself for blowing up a really amazing relationship. So yeah. That's some addictive behavior shit right there, guys. So just because you stop using does not mean you're in addiction recovery. You could go to a meeting every single day for 365 days and still not necessarily be in addiction recovery. Whereas this addiction, because addiction recovery is intentional thoughts. It's intentional feelings. It's intentional behaviors. By the way, just to close a loop, I built for you guys like almost a month ago. My power uh, words for the year are intentional acceptance and stability. So those are my those are my power words. Um, I thought I was going to come down to one power word. Didn't happen this year. It became intentional acceptance and stability. And the sentence I made is intentional acceptance creates stability. I will be intentional with my behaviors, my thoughts, my actions, and all that jazz. I, I will accept me for me. I will accept others for who they are around me. And I will seek to lift us all up, right? Rising tides raise all boats. And by having intentional acceptance of me and where I'm at, and also this very... Um, this very grounded uh, desire to continue to improve myself, that's going to lead to this stability. Right? I'm looking for a stability so I can be more stable, less of these emotional fluctuations. Because I absolutely find myself at times with my addiction behaviors or my sobriety behaviors coming back. And I don't want that anymore. So now that I've built up well, well on an amazing foundation, in fact, we've already started building up some of the the uh, floors of this amazing house that we're building, it might end up being a skyscraper by the time we're done. I don't know. I don't know how we've got a lot of carpenters here. We've got a lot of carpenters. We got this is all shenanigans. We're building up our little what do they call that skeleton thing that they build up around a, a building and then they stand on it? I don't remember scaffolding. Maybe, probably not. Somebody out there right now just corrected me. I wish I could hear you. Let's get back to the show. <laughs> I am super hyped. Okay. So when you start to monitor your addiction behaviors, your sobriety behaviors, and your addiction recovery behaviors, this is some of the stuff that, this is where I was getting stuck. This is one of the reasons why I was having a hard time putting all of this together uh, without you guys on the microphone. So thank you for being the guinea pigs, <laughs> all thousands upon thousands of you. <laughs> or you're either laughing at me, laughing with me, or you've already turned me off. There's other options, but I'm thinking it's one of those three. So when we start thinking about addiction is this obliviousness, I want you to be monitoring for where you're getting emotionally triggered. Where are you reacting, right? Reacting could be yelling, quick to anger, quick to violence, right? Also be monitoring where are you, like perhaps envious, jealous. This envious jealous thing. You got to be really careful about this one. All right, these two. You got to be very careful about them because they will seep into your soul. 
they will get down into you. And it's not enough that you might look at your neighbor or look at somebody on on Instagram and be like, why do they have that job? Why do they have that life? Why do they have that kind of partner? Then some level of enviousness or jealousy starts to creep in and it's pervasive. Right, this can really overtake you, and because ultimately, what will what will be right behind that is some kind of shame or guilt or anger, not not even necessarily towards them. You might be like, "Ah, oh, how dare that person have this thing that I also want that they worked hard to get, and I have yet to try that hard to achieve." Right? It's not. It's yeah. You're gonna. You might think that it's, it's the external vocalization of what it is you are wanting and this person has. You might even turn to your friend, but can you believe, can you believe this right here? I cannot believe this person on Instagram. They travel the world. They travel the world and get paid for it. This is bullshit. Why don't I have that job? Envious and jealousy, but right behind it, guilt, shame, and anger. Why? Because there's going to be a part of you, if you really truly believe that you could have achieved that or you should have that in some way, that's going to be pissed off at yourself for not having achieved it. And then here comes the shame and here comes the guilt. Shame, obviously, we discussed it. That's an external um, way we, basically, when we break society's rules, we feel shame. When we break our own internal rules, we feel guilt. But if, you know, you were rocking it hard at some point in your life, and next thing you know, you you fell off to the wayside because of drugs and alcohol, and people around you thought, well, you had a lot of potential, but you totally blew it by drinking yourself to death, right? That's, you're going to feel some shame. If you have guilt over the fact that you drank yourself to death, and you dropped, you know, out of college multiple times and took 12 years to get a four-year degree, <clears throat> this guy, I could have some guilt over it, but I don't because it was totally fun. And you know what? It is what it is. I'm 46 now. I graduated at 30. That's like 16 years ago. I was in college for 12 years. I've officially been out of college for four years longer than I was in college. Am I talking too fast? I might be. So be on the lookout for the yelling, the anger, the violence, the envious, the jealousy. Are you beating yourself up over things long ago? That's addiction behavior. Beating yourself up over things that are, that are done. Look, I, I'll say it once. I'll say it a thousand times. Doc Brown and Einstein and Marty McFly ain't rolling up to your front door with a with a DeLorean. And even if they did, there's only like two seats in it, and there's already a dog in there. Where are you going to sit? Where and you think they're going to stick around here? No, they don't want to hang out in 2023. It turns out there's not even flying cars yet. They're going to totally stick out like a sore thumb. And that flying choo-choo train, that's absolutely going to be noticeable. So they ain't coming to rescue you. Stop beating yourself up over crap that happened 5, 10, 15 years ago. Hell, if it happened last week, figure it out, learn the lesson, and move on. All right? Things out of your control, ignoring what you're feeling. These are addiction behaviors. I want you to be mindful of when you start to see these creep in. So sobriety is awareness, right? If if addiction is obliviousness, sobriety is awareness. Now, you're going to be more aware, right? You're you're in the action-taking phase, right? Obviously, if you're sober, you're past contemplation and planning. You are in your action phase, Right now, the step behind or after the after taking action, spit it out, Jess. After taking action, is going to be maintenance or it's going to be relapse. Right in the five stages of change, that's how whoever built that whole paradigm up. Right, that's what they've come up with. It's pre-contemplation, contemplation, planning, taking action, and then the fifth one is either you're going to go back to the way things were. Right, that's the lapse, that's the relapse, or you're going to maintain what you are currently on the path that you're currently on. So 
awareness is sobriety. It's like, all right, let's make some changes. So you're going to have awareness in sobriety, but some of these sobriety behaviors, especially, and you'll remember these as I rattle these off from your early stages of sobriety, are going to be things like holding your tongue. Right? We held our tongue a lot when we were addicts because basically we were just happy anybody would be around us, especially our friends and family who'd already told us for the umpteenth times, stop behaving that way. Right? So we learned to hold our tongues and not speak our truth because we were already rocking the boat enough the way it was. And if you were an abrasive addict, then you were just, you were not holding your tongue at all, which made you even less appealing to be around. For me, I was a holder of the tongue. A lot of people pleasing in addiction because you know what, we're, we're doing the best with, we can with the resources we have. And at this, you know, as the addiction grows and people start dropping out of our social circle and next thing you know, we're looking around and the people who stuck around are not the people we want to be friends with, but Hey, they got the drug hookup. So what are we else are we going to do? We learn to hold our tongues. We learned there's a certain amount of people pleasing. Again, even the most abrasive addict will at times have some level of social decorum enough to be realize, hey, maybe I should shut my mouth for a moment. Not all, but a majority. Um, and again, don't hold me to that. That is a totally made up statistic right there. <laughs> I just have noticed a lot of the people I meet. When I say, did you hold your tongue a lot? Were you a people pleaser? I get a lot of head nods. Yes. Um, counting down the days, right? We know counting down the days and white knuckling it at the beginning is that sobriety right? And that's when people haven't really figured out their program yet. They're like, oh, I got four days. Okay, I got five days. Okay, you get 13, right? And we got that. We want that. We want that newness of it, right? It's a brand new life we're living. It's a brand new habit structure we're creating. We're not expected to be experts at it when, when it first starts, right? Like I, I, there's certain times where I'll say, I'm not going to do sugar anymore, or I'm going to cut out TV. And it's like, okay, I'm only going to allow myself one hour of television a night for the next month because I got a lot of stuff coming up. I get very um, strict with myself, right? My therapist could say, mm, that's a little bit of an addictive behavior, right? I could say, well, it's just being disciplined, which is a bit of more of a sobriety behavior, right? Whereas addiction recovery, when we get to that, is being more intentional with the television watching. But either way, there are certain times where I like to take things away. Um, you know, cut sugar out of your diet for 7 to 14 days and strawberries taste completely different. They are amazing when you've cut off the processed sugar for two weeks. So when we talk about this white knuckling it where we're counting down days, I can assure you when I've cut out sugar, man, day six is not a joy, right? But day 16 is a hell of a lot better. And as long as I'm working some level of a program, I'm monitoring what I'm doing, I start to develop new habits around this idea of that I'm no longer in, taking in processed sugar. So that's what I'm talking about when I discuss counting down days and white knuckling it, right? It's not, I still, I mean, I just passed, I think, 2,200 days. I still like to look at the day counter, but sometimes the 13th will roll around in a month and I'll totally forget that that's my soberversary. I've moved beyond the, some of those anniversaries that I used to be so excited about, right? I've got six years in now. It doesn't mean that I'm not thrilled to be sober every single day, but it doesn't mean that I am as attentive about celebrating each 13th that rolls around. There's just other things on my mind now. I can assure you for those first that first year, every 13th that rolled around and every Friday that came by, I was celebrating, right? That was part of my sobriety to recovery journey. Um, also, lacking acceptance of who you are, what you've done, and what you can do now. These are very sobriety-esque behaviors. 
right? Accept what you've done in the past. If you're still beating yourself up over it, that's what the addict was doing inside of you. That's the addict talking. This is trying to convince you that, hey, you know what? You did a lot of bad stuff back in the day. No one's ever going to forgive you. You're totally not worthy of love. You really don't have any self-worth. Why do you look in the mirror and have any level of esteem? You're a piece of shit. Why don't you just come back over here, sit down on this couch and drink this bottle, right? That's the addiction monster. When you start, when you lack acceptance of who you are, what you've done, and, and, and what you can actually do now about your your situation, your life, this is this is that part of you that's behaving more via the sobriety behaviors, right? That's you're aware of it, but you haven't fully embraced it yet, right? What can you do now? That is going to be something that you're going to start to rattle through your head, because there's a, a lot of toleration back when we were addicts. So when we're, when we're sober, we're still working with that toleration. We're tolerating behaviors in ourselves, be tolerating behaviors in others that may not be up to our standards, but we're still laying down the groundwork for our standards. So we're not going to be as hard on ourselves about still figuring out this new life, right? And this is 30, 60, 90 days, 100 days, 200, 2200. I still catch myself doing things that I'm not necessarily thrilled of. And I'm like, Okay, I got to let's work on that. And I do at times beat myself up and think I should be further along, but that's like a marathon runner getting pissed off at themselves for running the pace that they are at mile 17. Like you've been running that pace for a while now. Like that is it is just what it is. You weren't supposed to be done or you weren't supposed to be further behind. You are just where you are at. If you start getting pissed off about how you ran at mile six, and that's why you're running the way you are now at mile 17, you're not concentrating on mile 17. All right. Don't get boggled down by what's way ahead. Focus on the steps that are now. And when we start to tolerate things, it's like we're living so much in the past, right? It's like, ah, this is the behavior I used to tolerate, right? Instead of thinking about, well, am I seeing this through a different lens now? Right? Is the way someone's behaving in front of me, them just doing the best they can with the resources they have? And how might I be able to have a conversation with them that helps them lift themselves up or you know, be more aligned and congruent with what I'm doing? Right? You're going to find some of the things that you do when you're in toleration mode is setting goals and then letting them fall off. You know, Doing mental gymnastics and talking yourself out of why you really wanted to do that thing. You'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll have these moments where you're super, super focused and then you drop off for like a week, two, three, and you lose focus. I see this happen a lot when people try to pick up the gym or some level of physical activity, right? That's that sobriety version of you that's still trying to figure it out. Not really sure how you're going to habituate this yet. Start to mental gymnastics yourself out of it. Well, I've always just been this way or, well, you know, I'm this age and you get this age and your back just always hurts. That's not true. There's lots of people that are a lot of ages who have figured out a way to not have their back always hurt. So you're tolerating things. And you're working on that in order to move toward your addiction recovery program. So not drawing boundaries, not determining what an outcome really is or what you really want from setting boundaries or from having conversations. That's more of the sobriety behavior, which again, better than the addictive behavior, which was barely paying attention to any outcomes, (laughs) 
<laughs> not only were you not drawing healthy boundaries, you were breaking everybody else's healthy boundaries and being focused. I mean, you know, I did graduate college after 12 years, so there was some level of focus. Um, but for a majority of the time, it was a focus on getting the buzz and recovering from the hangover. So then we start thinking about what is addiction recovery? What are these going to be these thoughts, these feelings, these actions that we're going to be taking when we're in addiction recovery? And intentional. Intentional is the word that I want you to be focused upon. So if we go back to the beginning, addiction is obliviousness. It's a state of unawareness. Sobriety is awareness. And addiction recovery is intentionality, being intentional. It's one thing to be aware that you're not happy with a particular thought, feeling, or behavior. It's another thing to be intentional with a thought, feeling, or behavior. Right? It's like, okay, you can be aware that you just had a negative thought, but if you're going to be intentional about having that negative thought, that's going to be dissecting it, figuring out why it is bothering you. What is it that just happened that's creating this within you? Right, someone in the hub today posted over on Voxer. Um, it was uh, something like, "It's not about just slaying your demons; it's about taking a, taking apart the demon and figuring out what it was feeding on." I'm pretty sure I did not say that verbatim, but I said it close enough. It's not just about slaying your demons; it's about taking taking apart the demon, or maybe it even said smashing the demon. Not important. What is, is that we're taking apart the demon to find out what it was feeding on. All right, what's it feeding on? Shame, anger, guilt, envy, envy, jealousy, um, fear, hurtfulness, rage, anger, right? All those emotions, right? Lack of self-worth, lack of self-esteem, feeling like you're a piece of crap. That's what the demon was feeding off of. So when we're intentional with our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, we are taking apart the undesirable ones to find out what they're feeding on. And we're, and we're focusing ourselves more with that toward energy towards the desirable thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Right. This is going to be um, talking it out, speaking your voice, saying what you mean and meaning what you say, but not saying it mean. It's going to be sticking to your goals. It's going to be developing the willpower that helps you move into discipline, and discipline moves you into habits. All right, we've talked about that before. We have that ladder, willpower to discipline to habits. And at, you know, somewhere around that 60 to 90 day range is whenever a habit becomes fully integrated into your life to the point where it's almost like autopilot that you just put on your shoes at 2 p.m. and go to the gym. It's just ingrained. You're not going to miss more than you know a day or two at the gym each week. You're like, nope, three days a week is when I go to the gym. And if I have to do all three of those days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because I'm busy Thursday through Sunday, I will be at the gym Monday through Wednesday. Day. That's that addiction recovery. It's being intentional with your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors and actions. It's you know, it's drawing healthy boundaries around boundaries. God, I'm just going to be. I mean, if you have a pen and a pad, get in the lab because we are dropping some dimes today. Um, what is it that I was talking about with my coach the other day? That um, invisible. Whoa, whoa, hold on. What is it? Invisible expectations are the leading cause of, oh, I'm totally butchering this, and I don't like to butcher things unless I intentionally am butchering things, and so then I butcher them happily, but that's not what I want to do right now, so I'm going to go find it. Here's the quote. Invisible expectations are resentments waiting to happen. Communicated expectations are healthy boundaries. So I'll say it again because the 20 seconds leading up to that was a bunch of gibberish. 
Um, and so pull out your pen and a pad. Let's get in the lab and let's write this one down. Invisible expectations are resentments waiting to happen. Communicated expectations are healthy boundaries. And so I even put this in my notes when he said that, like, oh my goodness, addiction is, sobriety is, and recovery is around this, right? Addiction is, within the scope of this quote, um, not having any kind of healthy boundaries, right? Having all these invisible expectations and then getting pissed off at people whenever they don't fulfill your invisible expectations, right? Sobriety would be, um, you know, communicating your expectations, but then breaking them or not following through on them or having these invisible expectations um, and then allowing the resentments to steam up with inside of you. Right. This and this, we've talked about this before. If you don't have, an, if you don't remember it, write this down. Right. Resentments, are resistances, resistances lead to resentments. Resentments lead to rejection, and rejection leads to that blow up. That's what you know. You think about in your partnership with someone in your family, in your house, your your husband or wife, right? They keep leaving the spoon in the sink, right? You have resistances to bringing it up because somebody went back in the day said, don't sweat the small stuff. So you don't mention the spoon and these little resistances become resentments, right? Now they keep putting the spoon in there. Now you're, every little thing they do from the way they swallow to the way they breathe starts to bother you. You start resenting them all because you wouldn't talk about the spoon in the sink. You let those resistances build up. Enough resistances turn into resentments. Resentments turn into rejection and next thing you know you're screaming at each other in the kitchen over some white rice for dinner it's insane but it happens and if you write that down you're going to notice it so when we start talking about what addiction is around these these expectations and boundaries addiction is not having any boundaries right just blowing through other people's and then having expectations and allowing those resentments and resistances to build up when you never even told anybody you had the expectation and just getting angry at them for things they don't even understand that they did wrong or sobriety would be um, having these invisible expectations and allowing these resentments to build up and then holding your tongue not speaking your truth not sitting down in a calm way and discussing it right that would be your sobriety just holding it in letting it fester all right, we're not doing that anymore. All right, we're stepping into addiction recovery, which would be to sit down and be like, hey, this is my deal with the spoon. I was raised in a very you know messy house, sort of had hoarder parents, and I just got really particular about the cleanliness of my kitchen. If you could just put the spoon into the dishwasher when you're done with it, that would be really awesome. It would just it would help me so much. And once the person has a better understanding of the why, they're more prone to follow through with what you've requested of them, right? And that's that that's that addiction recovery. The communicated expectations are now healthy boundaries. So in the future, if the spoon's still in the sink, you can turn to them and be like, okay, I've expressed why the spoon in the dishwasher is important to me. Perhaps you have not expressed to me why the dishwasher or why the spoon in the sink is so important to you because I've certainly expressed myself. And clearly you haven't. Why is a spoon in the sink? I just love that example. Um, and it's not like I have an issue with spoons in the sink. It just came about like 197 episodes ago and I'm just riding that gravy train. So, Let's let's think about that. Where are you noticing some of this in your life, right? Where are you noticing that you might be beating yourself up from things long ago? And where could you be more gentle on yourself? Where could you be less tolerant of certain aspects of you and start actually accepting who you are and then working on it now, 
right? You've got that addiction is beating yourself up. Sobriety is just tolerating the behavior and pushing the feelings down. And we know what happens when we push our feelings down. We tend to pour a bunch of booze and drugs on top of them. So you don't want to be doing that, right? Or you could be accepting who you are for the, the divine creature you have been born into existence as, right? And stepping into this this version of you that knows that when you pay attention to what it is that you're doing and you set intention towards what you're doing, that your life will go all the way up. Like that's just, it, it's going to happen, right? If you set the intention to pay attention, your life is going to go all the way up. I know a lot of intention, attention. Did I use an I? Did I use an A? How do I write that down? I don't know. How do you write that down? Intention with an I, intention towards your attention with an A will lead you towards an all the way up life. I know. I'm talking a mile a minute. I think that's because I've been up for like 19 hours and it's past midnight. But anyways, (laughs) personal responsibility. I'm not blaming the lack of sleep on why I'm talking so fast. I'm just super excited right now. So we've laid down the groundwork and we are going to be touching upon this a lot. This is just the beginning of my of of this theorem that I'm building, right? I'm I'm really going to be working on this and I couldn't do it in the office in my little creativity cocoon anymore. I had to invite y'all into this because frankly, without having this microphone in front of me, sometimes I have no idea what the hell I'm going to say. But then I hit record and just awesome things come out of my mouth and I'm like, well, that was cool. Why couldn't I have thought about that before the show and put it in the show notes? Just doesn't work that way sometimes. Just doesn't work that way sometimes. So, um, and I've noticed that one of my connector words, um, two connector words that have come about in the last year are the word so and the word right. I, now that I've just rung that bell, you're going to notice that. So maybe I shouldn't have told you that. I feel like I just, how I met your mother on that one. But um, I have noticed it quite a deal. And I'm going to be working on trying to alleviate some of that in the future episodes. This is the kind of awareness <laughs> and intentional thoughts and feelings and actions I have around my behaviors. <laughs> I start noticing little things like that. So (laughs) it's hard not to notice it when I have such a hard punch into that S. I almost said so again. I swear to you, I did. (laughs) It's such a connector word. Out of nowhere right now, this song I heard on TikTok the other day uh, of this boy um, singing. He's like, thank you for sunshine. Thank you for rain. Thank you for laughter. Thank you for pain. Uh, It popped into my head. And I'm not even sure that the third word was laughter, but that's what I've changed it to. So um, a bunch of people made this song famous on TikTok and maybe even reels. But yeah, thank you for sunshine. Thank you for rain. Then thank you for laughter. Thank you for pain. So that was just my little, it popped into my head as I was thinking about my connector words. Uh, I, (laughs) I almost said the S word again. You come home from work and the kids book bags in the hallway and you immediately scream at them. I've told you a thousand times that stop leaving your book bag in the hallway, right? And it, at best, that's probably, that would be what you would say in sobriety. This is how it would probably come out in your addiction mode. I have told you a thousand times, little Johnny, get this damn backpack out of the freaking hallway. Ah, monster Jesse. Right, that's addiction. It's just you see something. It's a backpack in the hallway. Seriously, like let's let's try to keep it at a, at a minimum on the screaming over something like that. All right, sobriety would just be picking up the backpack. <sighs> 
told that damn kid so many times. Putting it on the hook. All right, now you go into the kitchen, kiss your partner, but you're already pissed off about the backpack. You're muting your emotions. How was your day? It was fine. Whatever. I don't even care. I'm going to... Just gonna go sit on the couch and watch some Simpsons in my underwear and eat bonbons, right? And it's like you've just completely blown up any chance to communicate with your your lover right there in that moment, right? Because you were holding in that emotion about the backpack. The addiction recovery version of you takes the backpack, goes and finds the child, says, "Hey, can we have a quick convo?" Sits down, been like, "I know we've discussed this. I just want to get your feelings around um, why is it I keep seeing the book bag in the hallway." Uh, when I've asked you multiple times to make sure that it goes up on the hook so that when I come home, I don't step on it and trip on it and break something inside of it, whatever. All right, now it's a communication. Now you're speaking your voice. You're talking it out. All right, you're saying what you mean. You, you, you give your, your child an opportunity to speak their voice. All right, they might have a reason. They might be like, yeah, you know, I'm just so excited to be home and the puppy, and I just want to play with the puppy, and then I started eating little Debbies, and I was drinking soda pop, and I got jacked up on sugar, and then I was on the trampoline. It's like, okay, cool, I get it. You want to do all those things. Moving forward, the consequence of leaving the book bag in the hallway is blank. And now you've moved from screaming, which is an addiction behavior, to so, which, and then sobriety, which would just be muting yourself and holding your tongue to addiction recovery, which would be speaking it out, right? Now, I'm going to throw this at you because my um, NLP um, co-teacher has been helping me um, utilize certain word patterns um, within my coaching. And one of the ones that we recently um, started to implement within my uh, technique is by saying, would you like to process this? And so somebody comes up and they're like, yeah, I'm horrible with money or I'm horrible in relationships or I'm horrible at communication. And they start rattling off all these reasons why they believe that they're horrible at this one particular thing. And once they're done, they're like, okay, that was a lot. Would you like to process this? Right? Process is this idea of like moving through it, of taking it apart and figuring out what the demon's been eating on. Well, by doing this with addiction recovery and talking something out, you're giving both parties an opportunity to process this particular thought, this particular feeling, or this particular behavior, right? And I get it. You told your kid, or you told your partner, or you told somebody in your family a million times not to do blank, but clearly it's something's not getting through, right? And I know the tendency can be to blame the listener for not hearing the way that you are speaking it, right? But NLP teaches us that a lack of rapport is in the communicator, the communicator has not said it in a way that the other person can hear it. I know you're like, I'm using, I'm using our preferred language. I'm literally saying the words, don't leave the book bag in the hallway. Don't leave the spoon in the sink. Don't leave the lights on in the bathroom and you leave it. And they keep doing it. I get it. You're using normal words, but it's still not getting through. It's highly doubtful that that person's just trying to be a dick to you, but something hasn't clicked for them. They think that electricity is free, or they think that the book bag in the hallway isn't that big of a deal, or they think a spoon is just a spoon, and what the hell does it matter? The Wheaties are still sitting on the on the kitchen counter, un, you know, open, right? They could look around and be like, this kitchen looks like shit. The last thing we should be worrying about is a spoon. I have no idea what's going on in their head, and neither will you until you sit the hell down and talk to them about it. This can be tough. I have an anxious attachment style. I am not. Uh, I, I am not one. Let's see. I will talk about some things when they get brought up, but I can get extremely anxious about bringing them up. Once that once it's been brought up, I'm ready to talk. 
It's like this. You could be like, Jesse, how do you feel about this spoon in the sink? God, I'm so glad you asked. I have been meaning to talk about this. It's like I just needed to know you were you were willing to talk about something, right? It's my anxious attachment style, right? There's the there's the avoidant attachment style. There's the fearful attachment style. Then there's the secure attachment style. And so, not many people are secure. A lot of people might think they're secure. Go read attachment styles. Never mind. I'll just make it an episode. But you could also Google it. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're an adult. <laughs> Free willy. You do what you do. What you do right? But I, my anxious attachment style leads me to not always feel comfortable talking something out. But once I start talking about it, then it can actually become a conversation. Right. It's something that I actively work on because when I'm holding my voice, right, when I'm not saying something, when I'm allowing the anxious attachment style to build up inside of me, it causes me to start to mute myself. Right. Then I start to get these resistances, these resentments. Right. It turns into anger inside. Right. Next thing I know, I get triggered over something completely irrelevant to what I'm actually mad about. And I'm and all of a sudden I'm raising my voice and I'm getting extremely upset. That's the addiction, Jesse. Right, so Bridie Jesse's holding my tongue, allowing the anxiety and stress to take over. So I just don't talk about it at all. Right, the problem we have there is that eventually you holding your tongue enough that muting of the emotion, it's the anger is going to come out. It's not going to lead me back to the bottle or to the pipe now. Right, like I believe you know I've done a great deal of work, but again. Lapse and relapse start well before the act of behavior. So I can think everything's all fine and good and dandy, right? But two years of this, the next thing you know, I blow a fuse and happens to find a Jameson bottle sitting next by and all hell breaks loose, right? So the addiction recovery version of me just goes up to the person I would like to talk to and is like, hey, I got a couple topics I'd really like to talk to touch upon. Um, let me know when you've got some time to sit down and, and have a really, you know, um, collaborative and connective conversation, right? And I know that can sound like a super weird way to ask somebody to have a conversation, but not everybody's ready to have the conversation you want to have when you want to have it, right? And you're going to find it a bit um, off-putting when the person rejects you, when you want to talk about something important to you, when you have no idea what's going on in their life. You do not know that they're, if they're ready for it. I had this happen tonight, right? And the girlfriend even said, you know, sometimes you just come out of the clear blue with these conversation topics and I'm just not ready for them. It's just not in that moment. And that's important to know, right? Because there's definitely been times where she's approached me in the office and I've been like, man, this is, I got a lot going on right now. I'm going to need till the end of today. Let's have a discussion while we're cooking dinner together. All right. And then it can be something that is discussed more calmly and focused rather than just being brought up, you know, randomly in the middle of somebody else's thought process, shocking them into having a conversation that they might want to be probably really want to be present for, but you've caught them at a time when it's not convenient, when it's not good for them. It's, it's, it's going to hurt both of you if you don't approach that kind of conversation with both of you wanting to be amenable to it. Now, I get it. If you cut your hand off using a chainsaw in the backyard and you come storming in the house screaming, my hand's on, cut off, and right, and you're, it's, it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre all over your kitchen, they're going to drop what they're doing and have that conversation. <laughs> but most things in life aren't that. So sit down and say, 
you know, when can we have a, uh, this this topic brought up? Uh, you know, I'd really like to talk about blank. You know, do you have some time later on today? Get them in agreement, and then that's that's the addiction recovery. That's talking to someone as if they also have an equal part to play. They also have feelings. Meet them where they're at. Don't just waylay, waylay them with your topic um, in the middle of the day. Now, I would also say be mindful of that. Hey, when you get home, we need to talk line because then that's just going to jack somebody up full of anxiety and stress. So I'm going to leave this one to you to figure it out. We're already at minute 50 and I've rambled on enough about it, but you know, pick and choose your words in a way that you would want somebody to use them with you as well, right? Treat others as you would like to be treated. Um, And so I think I've given you enough examples of this. And again, work in theory here, but you'll notice it, right? You'll notice when your behavior is more of the, of your old addicted self, right? When you just become completely passive, tranced out, zombie mode, oblivious to what's happening, right? The kitchen's on fire, the family's screaming, and you're just like, la, 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 right? You want to be aware. That's that sobriety version of you, right? That's noticing what's happening around. But if you're just noticing it and not doing anything about it, holding your tongue, muting yourself, tolerating behaviors of yourself or of others that you would really like to see some level of shift in, you can't make anybody change. You can't control somebody else, but you can definitely tell them what you would prefer. And then they have the opportunity to say yes or no, right? The more yeses you get, the more trust and love that's built up. The more no's you get, the more lack of trust and love that's built up. And at some point you make a decision on whether it's a reason, season, or lifetime. But if you just sit there and allow resistances and resentments to build up, I'm telling you, man, if you're going to have a five alarm fire blowing up your house. And at that point, it's like, you, you're going to start saying things that you don't mean. You're start going to behaving in a way that you're not going to be proud of. And you're going to have to turn around later on once you've cooled off and make a whole lot of apologies. So be on, be on the lookout for this addiction is, sobriety is, and addiction recovery is in your life. Intentional acceptance creates stability. I really want you all to hear that. There's a lot we've discussed in this episode. Um, for those of you in the hub who've already told me you go back and listen to these things multiple times because you miss things, this is going to be one of those episodes. Um, and I really appreciate y'all just working with me on this as we start to draw it out. Um, probably circle back to this one later on in the year as a full episode as it begins to hash out even more because I'm going to now bring this to the conversation in the hub. And and I might even... We, we're getting ready to start back up our uh, monthly live Zoom meetings. And so we get everybody together on Zoom from all around the world. It's it's a fun little... <laughs> It's a fun little puzzle to put together when you've got, you know, multiple time zones and different, I you know, got two different continents trying to show, show up outside of the, uh, outside of U.S. and Canada. I've got England and South Africa. So trying to get all this maneuvered around is, is fun. And hopefully we get everybody to, to uh, come up with the time that we agree upon. And now that I've rambled about that for 30 seconds, you've totally lost the point of what I was talking about, which is that we're bringing live Zooms back. And I'm super excited about this. And I think that we're going to make this one of our topics du jour, because I really think that this is one of those um, themes, one of those podcasts that will 
um, hash itself out much more efficiently and effectively whenever we bring other brains into this. Where are you noticing addiction, sobriety, and recovery thoughts, feelings, and actions in your life? And again, you could have 27 years in addiction recovery, right? And you could still be holding on to resentments and screaming at strangers, you know, who cut you off on the road or yelling at squirrels for, you know, climbing up your screen door. Like, you can still be presenting addiction kind of thoughts, feelings, and actions around yourself and not using Right. That's what I'm framing here is like we're stepping into this world of sobriety and recovery, but it doesn't mean that all our thoughts, feelings and actions are going to follow suit um, uniformly. There's going to be different ways that we're going to behave. You might go to work and be completely great, but come home and still fly off the hook. You might go to work and fly off the hook, but come home and be super loving and compassionate. You might be able to have amazing conversations with your partner, but still screaming at your siblings. These are things to be aware of. And then when when you catch yourself being like, okay, that's my addictive behavior. What could I be doing to make this more sobriety behavior? And then once you figure that out, because, right, that's the next step up the ladder. Oh, you know, I could hold my tongue instead of scream at them. Sure, that is better than screaming at them. But now once you've been like, well, I could hold my tongue, but I'm not supposed to be holding my tongue. I'm supposed to be speaking my voice. Hey, sibling, is there any way we could have a conversation here soon? Um, Just want to go over a couple things I've been thinking about. Awesome. Sure. Two o'clock today. Perfect. I'll give you a call then. And then you have an opportunity to sit them down and say what you mean and mean what you say. Just don't say it mean. Okay. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Just don't say what, just don't say it mean. All right, my friends, that was a splendid little hour of our lives. I hope that you have enjoyed it as much as I have. I have, like I said, am pushing the midnight hour. Um, I'm burning the candle at both ends. Is that even a term anymore? Do people still use candles as a form of illumination? Um, I use LED lights, and right now my entire um, office is this beautiful shade of blue Um, because blue makes my brain hum when my brain is in super awesome flowy state. Um, It's usually because I've switched on the blue light. I've turned it into a visual anchor. And uh, red is for when I'm shutting my brain down for the night. And then yellow is when I want to wake it up and be jazzed. So we have a, a little bit of combination of both yellow and blue during this show. And I really would just encourage you to accept whatever behavior you have presented to yourself or to somebody else recently. And regardless if it's addiction or sobriety or recovery version of thoughts, feelings, and actions, just accept that it happened. It is what it is. And you can continue to hold on to it as some level of anger or resentment or resistance, but it's going to stop you from growing. It's going to stop you from moving forward. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about stepping into this world of sobriety and recovery is that we have an opportunity to take everything apart and see what it's been feeding on. And when you discover that what it's been feeding on this entire time is fear, I think that makes it so much easier to then go at that fear, right? It's, it's that invisible enemy that we don't understand, that we don't even know. You shine that illumination of the lighthouse upon it, right? You see those rocks out there, right? You can steer your ship away from it, 
right? You can safely maneuver around, you know, that jetty full of rocks that could flip your boat. And next thing you know, you're steering it safely into the harbor and you're docking it. And you're having these wonderful, amazing connective conversations, these vulnerable moments with someone, you know, who is wanting that version of you, whether they know it or not. And I know in a society that seem, seemingly gets more and more confused um, every day about masculine and feminine energy, and is that even socially acceptable to call it those things anymore? Bottom line is, is that we've got 25-some-thousand years of hardwired programming in us that says men act like this, women act like this, and we're living in a new world where we can be more fluid. But at the end of the day, there's still that little thing inside of us that that 25,000 year old DNA that says men are supposed to push down their emotions and just stuff it down and shut the hell up and that women are supposed to be super emotional and and you know do this that and the other and I mean that's stigmas old you know rituals and traditions that we no longer wanted to adhere to or not we can't just snap our fingers and expect that we're all of a sudden going to know how to be master communicators in the face of such radical changes in our society right this burning of the bra movement happened in the 1960s and 70s and you know Praise be that it occurred, but also realize we're only looking at like 50, 60 years ago when society really was like, you know what? We're not following the old traditions anymore, right? It's not women in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant. It's not men, you know, slamming away at work just to go hide away at a bar to come home and drink a couple fingers of scotch, you know, sit there and stare at the Teletubi and and just ignore the family that's living their lives around them. Like that was pre, you know societal revolutionary days in the 60s and 70s and here we are still figuring it out let's be gentle on ourselves all this social justice and amazing things that have changing and the way that we're speaking to one another and the mental health taking a forefront in society for once this has really not been that long it has not been that long you think about how difficult it would be to change the way that you tie your shoes and you've only been doing that for 20, 30, 40, whatever amount of years, however old you are, we've got 25,000 years of human behavior. And I think the first time a homo sapien or whatever, a caveman stepped on the planet was like 300,000 years ago or something ridiculous. Like, come on, guys. (laughs) It would be hard for you to change the way you tie your shoes, and you've only been doing that for a couple decades. Changing the way an entire planet treats one another ain't going to happen in 70 years. So... Hug one another. And remember, it's about inclusivity over exclusivity. It's about the power of positive energy, releasing it and allowing your life to flow. It's about embracing that every day is the best day of your life because you wake up sober. It's about shouting out to sunshine. It's about glowing on. It is about seeing you next week. Bye-bye, my friends. 